Today we're in the book of Mark, chapter 4, a few verses, 26 through 34. Mark, chapter 4. There's a very helpful book published a few years ago called Thing Explainer. It's by Randall Monroe, who was a former roboticist at NASA. And he wanted to write about some complicated and uh, interesting things and how they work. He uses only a thousand common words, or what he calls ten hundred, so everybody can understand from age five to a hundred and five. For people who are curious about the world and help them to grasp some hard concepts more easily. He uses handy, accessible diagrams, pictures in each piece, and nothing is called by their regular names. A camera is a picture taker, an elevator is a lifting room, and a jet engine is a sky boat pusher. It's a great book. I brought it. It's out at Connection Central if you guys want to look at it. One of the pages I most enjoyed was about the microwave oven, which he calls the food heating radio box. (laughs) Now, many of us have wondered why food that is frozen doesn't ever heat evenly in the microwave. Here is what he says. When you put iced food in a radio box, after a while, parts of it start to turn to water. But since radio boxes are really good at heating water, those parts start to get hot really fast. They can even get so hot they start turning to air before all the ice is even gone. So then he tells readers you can get around the problem by heating frozen food on low power and having lots of pauses so the heat can uh, spread out and no spot will get too warm. That's your free tip for the day. Now, Monroe's notion was that by choosing the right words, anyone can take an idea that is happening in their heads and try to make an idea like it in someone else's head. All good teachers understand this truth. If we can't explain something to someone else that we know, it may be because we don't understand it ourselves. Or maybe we don't know how to get the complex thought in our head translated out to another person. In the scripture today, Jesus is giving simple word pictures to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, whose intelligence is perfect and far surpasses the most accomplished person in any field as creator over all, conveys important information that we need to know. Unlike the parable from last week, this one is not explained for us. We rely then on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom for interpretation, knowing that there are multiple truths in every parable that Jesus tells Today, you will hear my thoughts, but I know that the Holy Spirit will give fresh insight to you as well as we read them. So let's see what the Lord says in Mark 4, starting at verse 26. He, Jesus, also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, and then the head, and then the full grain in the head. 
But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when grown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Father, we pray that your word would be rich for us today. And may we receive from your spirit what you most want to convey to us. Amen. The kingdom of God is a big concept in Mark's gospel. When we think of a kingdom, of course, we picture a place that is well fortified with signs of opulence everywhere we look. Military might, great history, power on display. All those ideas are normal for a kingdom found here. The people of God before the Messiah came had such visions of grandeur that hearkened to former kings that they knew about and had heard about when Israel was whole and a force to be reckoned with among the nations. But the kingdom of God is not so much a place as much as it refers to the reality of God's presence and power in creation and in the lives of his people. God's realm extends everywhere, and Jesus' arrival heralded that the kingdom was becoming even more of a present reality on earth. This kingdom is set against the powers of the world, which means that those who live in God's kingdom will experience conflict, persecution, suffering, and maybe death because of it. In this kingdom, Jesus comes to free the captives and preach good news to the poor. He proclaims truths that the king wants each person to know. And in his coming, Jesus throws down the gauntlet against evil and those who oppose God's reign. He is also bringing God's rule differently than those who had been hoping for deliverance, which is a difficult issue in the book of Mark we see again and again. In the Gospels, Jesus uses divine authority to teach about the kingdom. But for all of his simple language, he doesn't really lay out a blueprint like maybe we want, like Randall Monroe does. He doesn't explain God's empire in clear, descriptive ways. Instead, he uses memorable word pictures, rearranging what people have understood about God's realm, making it accessible for everyone. But in so doing, he also confronts the beliefs of those listening, causing us to think about how we live, what we think about the kingdom. Today, again, he is using a farming parable to explain the kingdom. Words listeners probably did not expect to hear. Yes, Jesus, tell us about the kingdom of God. What's it like? Tell us. And he talks about seeds. So we have to ask ourselves if these words, if we relate to them, or if they describe our reality. A seed, of course, is a small embryonic plant enclosed in a covering that bursts open. 
and bears various forms of vegetation. It's a perfect system devised by God to sustain and reproduce life. The seed is a promise of all things to come. Sustenance, beauty, healing, livelihood, protection. It's an intricate, intricate and highly complex process. And in this way, a seed is very much like the kingdom of God, isn't it? These parables are small, but Jesus communicates two vital principles about the kingdom that we want to talk about this morning. First, Jesus says that the kingdom is living and naturally grows by his hand, cultivated to nourish and sustain. The first parable found in verses 26 through 29 is unique to Mark. You won't find it anywhere else. When I read it, I was taken instantly back to the third grade. When after lunch one day, we all brought in our milk boxes and cut off the top of them, cleaned it out, put soil in, and then put seeds deep in, put our names with masking tape on them, put them on a big tray, and waited. Waited for the little green sprouts to come up, and waited, and waited, and when is it going to come? And thinking, oh no, there's something wrong because my friend Pedro, his is working and mine isn't working. A good lesson in agriculture and in patience. (laughs) Like the farmer, we go about our daily business tending to our needs. And the Lord miraculously brings the growth. We can see the seed. We can see the effects. But daily, we cannot see the progression of exactly how it happens. Nor do we fully understand the mystery behind it. But we have what Jesus' listeners didn't have, which is time-lapse photography to see a plant grow. Amanda read this morning, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will wait for the Lord. What a beautiful thing. One thing that Jesus is teaching that we can expect from the kingdom is dependability. We will plant a seed, and it will sprout. Jesus teaches us to pray for the kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. And this parable reminds us that it is the Lord that causes all living things to grow. In the earthly realm, he empowers the plants. In the spiritual realm, it is the confessing church which grows, both individually and together as his body Verse 28 says, the earth produces of itself, which literally means automatically. So all conditions being right, the seed will naturally thrive as aided by God. We, like the plant, are made to grow. We do so imperceptibly, sometimes so slowly, we wonder if we're growing at all. Truth is given and we take it into our minds. We think about it, we consider it, we might reject some of it. Some of it we incorporate, and it becomes part of who we are as we develop. Jesus spells out the process here. The stalk, the head, the full grain. While we might not be able to see the process, even in ourselves, we can recognize a life that has been changed. Last week, we were reminded to listen and to have receptive hearts, receptive soil to God's truth. That is our part. Today, we see it is the Lord's job to bring maturation. The farmer here works with God, but cannot do what God alone does. So one question that we have for us today is, how has God's truth 
changed your life. When you think back to when you first started to really grow as a believer, how can you see the various stages of your formation? The word of God is living just like the seed is. The word of God is given to us for instruction and comfort and conviction, for healing We sing joyfully the word of God. We lament in the Psalms over the word of God for our lives. We look to the word of God for inspiration and revelation. We trust in a transforming process we can't fully see, that we can't fully comprehend. But it is the work of the spirit that we know exists and know to be true. The image of harvest here is curious because it's a reference to Joel It can be construed as judgment. But it makes more sense in my mind that we are grown up for a reason. That we are grown up to be harvested so that we might feed others, whatever that looks like. There are seasons in our lives where the fruit that God has borne in us is meant to bless others. It's meant to be given away. This is the cycle of the plant life. If it's left in the field, it will rot and be good for nothing. Grain is meant to be harvested, to be used in various modes to nourish people. If it is not used, it will be lost. So a question for us again is, if we have been grown up well, how is it that we are nourishing others? If we're mature, are we reproducing God's life so that his life might be given away through us? God brings the growth. He allows the harvest of our lives, knowing that we're going to keep on growing to be given out again. So how are you, bringing, how are you being harvested to bring God's sustenance for those who need to grow? There's also another notion here that ties into another analogy from the Apostle Paul. When we tell others about God, he is the one who is doing the work in that person. Paul says, one plants and another waters. But it is the Lord that brings the seed to full bloom in a person's life. And then another can harvest to bring an unbeliever into the kingdom. So there's a deep grace then about these words of Jesus, about this parable, and how the Lord works with us to make us what he's created us to be so we can help others know him. This is how the kingdom grows. The second parable uh, found in verses 30 and 32 is a familiar one found in all three of the synoptic gospels, the mustard seed. The principle here is that the kingdom begins small and then grows big, becoming home to those who seek God. So there are a few things for us to notice here. One is that the seed of the mustard plant is quite small. It's the little dot on the person's finger. It's actually not the smallest of the seeds. But a Palestinian farmer would probably recognize it as such. This is a word picture every listener of Jesus would have understood. Because although the seed is small, it does grow into a large shrub or tree. It is not a great redwood or a cedar of Lebanon, but it is still a mustard plant and quite large for something that started out as something so tiny. A funny truth about the mustard seed is that actually it's a weed in Israel. It's a beautiful weed, but it's difficult to manage and almost impossible to stop once it takes root. Pliny the Elder, a Roman author and naturalist, wrote these words in AD 78. 
The mustard is extremely beneficial for the health. It grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. In fact, the Talmud, and the ancient Jewish commentary, prohibited planting mustard in a Jewish garden because it would quickly take over. <laughs> so Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to a seed that starts out tiny and insignificant, and then it grows quickly and creates more seed and quickly spreads a prolific plant which surprises those who are unaware of how it grows. There's a parallel here, of course, to Jesus's own ministry and how it's inconsequential in the beginning. A Messiah born in obscurity and poverty who grows up to choose an undistinguished group of people as his followers, who teaches an upside-down kingdom that seems like absolute nonsense to the establishment, although they are threatened enough to ensure that he is killed publicly and shamefully. However, from an inauspicious small start that looked like a failure to the outside world became a huge movement, a global movement that is still thriving, thriving and changing lives every single day by the grace and love of God, a Savior who has died for their sin that all of us can pursue the holiness of God and the truth of God as he pursues us with great love. A truth and a God that has changed societies in powerful ways. Through the years, Christians have sometimes forgotten that the kingdom is not about bigger and more and flashier. That Christianity is not meant to triumph over people. It is sown in lots of ways, but at the core of the gospel, we have to remember that it is the least that is the greatest among us. Another truth here is that the seeds have to continue to be sown. The church has to continue scattering the seed. We cannot neglect the mandate that God has put on those who live in the kingdom. The church isn't about itself or its programs or inward focus. It isn't about dynamic leaders who entertain us, a political ideology, or how it is that we get more people. It's about reaching out with great love to those who don't know God, who don't know there's a place for them in his kingdom, who maybe have a skewed view of the Lord, to help them to see him for who he is, to reaching out to the marginalized and the poor, so the kingdom might grow prolifically, through the sowing of the word of life. Sowing small seeds make a difference. That is the lesson of the mustard tree. Jesus says that the mustard shrub will be a place where all birds will find a, a, a place, a home, will build a nest in its shade. In the kingdom, everyone can find a home. Trees are necessary for life all over the planet. Where the trees have been deforested, there's a lack of protection. The whole ecosystem suffers. People suffer. The earth groans in expectation of the kingdom to be coming and to be restored in its glory. And while we wait, the birds represent people of all nations coming to Christ to find a home. A common tree with the smallest seeds in Israel 
have become a powerful symbol of God's hand extended to all people to find a shelter of grace. In our last section, we see how Jesus teaches the people as they were able to hear it. And then it says that Jesus taught the disciples privately what he was saying. The word explained there literally means that he untied everything for them. That's a good word picture for us as we close. That Jesus helps to unravel the knots of our understanding, of our misconception of what the kingdom of God is. That he gives us wisdom and guidance so that we might understand what God's life is about. So in this first Sunday of Lent, we want to prayerfully think about these parables. About the growth that God means for us to have in our lives right now. We want to pay attention to how God is forming us spiritually and what we're doing with the seeds of truth that have been sown in our lives We want God's kingdom to flourish, so we want to continue to make his kingdom a reality until the Lord comes again. So let's take time with him now.